So people, uh, before we get right into it, I'm just gonna uh, welcome our guest. He's somebody who has quite a body of work under his belt, and he is Academy Award winner. Uh, he won the Academy Award for uh, Best Sound Editing this very year, early this February for Ford versus Ferrari, but he has worked on so many movies that most of us have grown up watching, including X-Men, Apocalypto, The Fault in Our Stars, The Hate You Do. If you want to go check his work out, I've posted a link in my Facebook uh, post. But people, please welcome the one and only Don Sylvester. Don, thank you for joining. Thanks. Great to be here. Nice talking to you. Likewise. Don, so, uh, so many people know what video editing is. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a very prevalent topic in the world nowadays because you have so many content creators, but the term sound editing, that is not too, you know, it's not heard of much. So could, could you like tell us a little bit about what sound editing is? Right. Well, yeah. Um, I told my mother that I was doing sound editing on, on a film and she said, why? Don't they have a, a microphone on the set? <laughs> I said, yeah, mom, they do. They have a lot of microphones on the set and that. That's the beauty and the problem at the same time. You have a recordist who is recording all the sound, one guy usually, and he's got a number of different channels. He could record maybe up to six, eight, some people do more channels. And then we have to select the best channel. Now, every actor may have his own microphone, which that's easy. When the guy talks, you hear that. Mm -hmm. But um, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they have just one microphone for the whole room. And yep. then you're challenged with, you know, what are you going to hear when there's, you know, a lot of things going on in the room. That's just one aspect of it. That's just a production sound that comes through with the, with the camera. Not only do you have, say, uh, let's just say, let's be reasonable, like eight channels of sound for one shot. You have multiple shots, multiple eighths. Now you've got multiple, you've got 30, 40 channels. Um, and then, you know, we have marvelous ears. Our ears are, are the best uh, hearing devices, you know, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and we don't, we filter everything out in our head. I mean, because we don't want to hear, we want to hear, you know, what Akash is, Akash is saying right now, I do. But there could be something going on in the room that I will filter out. The microphone doesn't do that. We have to filter all that out. So not only do we, we add stuff, we take stuff out. And in taking stuff out, we then need to put it back in if we want to have a say, uh, the sound of a train or something. Hmm. So sound editing is basically you're just you've got a salad of different sounds and you're, and you're you're shaking them together and you're making sure that it tells a story coherently doesn't make the people think like, am I hearing that correctly? Uh, is that you know, you, you just try to be as invisible as possible. Um, and just blend in with what you're seeing. And when you have multiple cameras, multiple takes, multiple locations, it's a real challenge sometimes. You, you never know what you're going to get. Even if you think it's quiet on the set or quiet in the location, you, you get it back to the cutting room and, and there's a bird that squawks right when he says, I love you. 
you know, and that's really, that's, you know, that's the bird's moment, but you don't want the bird. You don't need the bird. So it sounds simple, but it's very, it's very multi-layered and, and it takes a long time to do a good job. So how do you decide what goes in and what, what stays out? How well, do you obviously, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I call, a lot of people refer to um, sound as noise. We like the noise of the of the of the car. The noise of the car comes up, and the guy gets out, and he brings out his gun. You hear the noise of the gun, and noise is for me. Noise is reserved as the stuff you take out. Noise you take out noise. Um, any unwanted sound is considered noise. Um, <clears throat> the if you're on a street and there's a lot of traffic, there's a there's a lot of noisy traffic, and that because I use the word noisy means I don't want it. So I will probably take out the traffic um, so I can hear the, the dialogue. I think the dialogue is king in most cases. Uh, if it obscures the dialogue, you don't, you don't want it. Um, and then um, other noises are things that, that are, are just distracting. I mean, they may not be bad sounds. Uh, you may have somebody working uh, in a, um, uh, a factory and the guy next to him is hammering. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. You're going to see the guy hammering, but he's hammering right when I'm talking and I don't want to, you know, so I have to take out his or lower his hammering to get it away from my dialogue. So that's very simple. You just want to make sure you hear the dialogue. And the dialogue is king. Definitely. So Everything else is noise. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm going to be asking like, uh, this is a very common question. I'm pretty sure you get this, you know, get, get asked this quite a lot. How do you salvage dialogue without having to ADR or ADR as in like having to dub it again in post-production? Because sometimes you might be, you know, the actors might be delivering like an amazing performance, but like you said, that's probably a bird or a dog, uh, you know, layer over, over that. How do you salvage it? Because uh, from what I've heard and from my personal experience as well, getting an actor to come back into the studio and dub it all over again, is like you lose part of the performance. So how well, you yeah, I mean, yeah, you're gonna nine times out of 10, the actor will come back and go, what did I say here? You know, <laughs> when was, what, what was I doing? What was, what was I wearing the time? Was I, was I happy then? Okay, yeah, I remember now they don't, they don't remember. Um, and that's because we wait too long to bring them back. If we did this like the, the same day or an hour later, it'd be, it'd be really a lot easier. Yeah. But how do you salvage bad sound, bad dialogue production? Yeah, well, that's the age-old question. I mean, that's why there's an entire industry of, of digital plugins. Um, I think the go-to plugin today is isotope. I think it's become a verb. It's like, I'm going to isotope that. Mm. Um, and that really means that you have, a, you have the ability to actually look at the sound on a spectrum. Uh, and you can actually paint out the sounds you don't want to hear, which is something that you couldn't do on film back in the day. Um, so it takes a, it takes, you know, it's a craft. It's it's a craft like baking or or anything. It's a craft. Not everyone can do it, and those that do it don't always do it well. Um, it's and it's just one element of the beautiful salad we're making, which is the soundtrack. If, if you have 
too much cleaning in the dialogue, you could lose the environment of the place you're in altogether. It may be noise, but it may be the right noise. And then it becomes what I call sound. The difference between noise and sound is whether you want it or not. Um, it may be the sound of an environment that you can't recreate anywhere else and you want to hear it. And maybe you don't get the best dialogue you, you, you think you can get, but you, you don't want to ruin what's there. And you also realize if the actor, let's say the actor dies, you know, God forbid the actor passes away or isn't sick, or maybe he's not even available. Yeah. And it can't come back. Then you're left with no choice. Then you have to make it work. And, and that's where you really, you know, you think back in the day you made the phone call for the, the dialogue editor and, and you say, well, why didn't I get Joe? I got Bill. Well, Sally would have been better because this is, you know, this is what you've got. Um, and it's, a t it's a, look, it's why it takes so long. People say, well, why are you working, you know, a year on a movie? Well, you know, the, the problems you don't hear are the problems that we fix during that year. And that's why it takes a year or sometimes it takes less, of course, if you don't have the money, but it takes, it just takes time and effort and a lot of skill. Definitely, because uh, something that, like, it's, it's a very common thing, you know, uh, you can produce bad video, but not necessarily bad audio, because that tends to stick out like a very sore tongue. Well, I mean, from your lips to, to my producer's ear, I, I, I have people say quite the opposite, that, uh, yeah, the sunset was beautiful. I know that there's a 747 flying overhead. I know that uh, you're at the end of a, uh, a construction zone. I know, I know there's a murder taking place down the street. The cops are all, you know, all the sirens are going on. But the sunset is unbelievable. So they care more about the picture because they think the sound can be replaced. And they're right. In some regards, they're right because we do the job. We do the we we come through at the end of the day, and they go. See, we didn't need any of that sound. You just you just fixed it, and and we go. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's what we do. And hire me again, and I'll and I'll do it again. But um, the the enlightened producers and directors realize the importance of sound these days, and um, some of them actually say it's as important as pictures. Definitely. Some do. Yeah. So, uh, Don, could you just like tell us a little bit about like how did you get into this particular job? Because it's not a, not necessarily a field that people would be like, okay, someday I'm going to become a sound editor. You know, it's it's a very niche field, but uh, one of the most important. So, how did you get into this? Um, you know, when people ask me that, a lot of times they're they're asking me that because they want to have a path. They want to figure out how to do it. We'll do it the way he did it. How did he do it? Um, I did it 35 years ago um, and things were different then. Uh, I, I've been doing this, I've been doing this long enough that I actually don't worry in, in the morning when I wake up these days. I used to worry every day I'd get up and I'd go, this is such an important job. I really better be on my toes today. But I got in at a time when um, part of the reason I got in uh, was because I had a, I had worked in the music business for a long time and I had an ear for music and my ear was, I felt developed enough 
to apply it to sound and sound effects and things like that. I, I could I could tell the difference between things, which is the beginning of a of a sound career. You can actually listen to a soundtrack and point out certain things within that soundtrack. You've got the ability to dig in there sonically. Um, your ear may be trained well enough that you can actually uh, get into the sound business. But it doesn't mean you will. I got in because um, at, at the time I was in, I was involved, there were uh, sound crews were different. They had 15, 25 people. And so one more was nothing. I mean, you get, a, you know, we got three guys doing this and four people over there doing that and two or three people like that. And I need, uh, I need a kid that could do nothing. Yeah, that's, that's me. I'll do that. And you get in that way. But today, um, my crew that did Ford versus Ferrari, we were five people. And um, that's not to say I, I could have used, I couldn't have used more. I could have used more. Um, uh, but I've, I've learned to do the job with fewer people. And that's the nature of the business now mm -hmm. is that you, uh, you don't have always the resources because these computers back here, they do, they do the job that used to be done by five people. Now it's you. Um, so how do you get in? Okay. The way you get in is you, you just, you just do it. Now, I know you're a filmmaker. I don't know where you get your talent to help you. Um, but, you know, a lot of times you do a job, you don't get paid. Um, yeah. Um, I still do jobs I don't get paid because I volunteer. And I, I'm not offering, but I volunteer for some people that are making student films or they're, or they're low budget and, you know, they need some help. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll pitch in. You know, I don't ask anything because I know it's really hard, but that's kind of, you know, you just have to sort of do it. How do you do it? That's the question. Um, do you go to film school and learn your trade? You can. Um, it's not necessary. You could just start doing it. And that's a pretty good way of learning. But you just need to sort of associate yourself with people that make film or make videos or make TV or whatever area that you feel you can get into. You want to you just you volunteer you work any job and then you just get in now once you get in that's up to you to stay in because you know you if you if you're not any good at it, if you if you really are barking up the wrong tree then you, you really you shouldn't waste anyone's time um i've had some people that i i like dearly and they come along and they just they don't hear it they just don't hear it and you go did you fix did you hear? And they go, if you point it out to me, I'll do it. And I go, I can't spend all day pointing it out to you. Basically, they have to have the talent themselves or the, or the ability. So it's not a simple thing. Uh, and I wish I had a really good answer, but things have changed now. Um, you know, things have changed. It's it, very, very small crew. And also, you need to have a, a working knowledge of, of computers. And you have to not, you have to just be willing to work. It's hard work. So it's basically like you constantly refine and try to do as much work as you can on your craft. Yeah. Just work your way up the ladder. So. Yeah, just just you know get in any way you can, um, do any job. And when I mean any job, any job. I my first job was you know driving around, delivering things. You know, um, 
which I, you know, I, I liked it. It was fun. It, it didn't, it didn't reflect on what I wanted to do, but it, I met people and that's sort of where you need to go. You need to meet people and just hang around the people, you know? Yeah. That's something I've noticed, uh, even over here, uh, people who want to get into the, the business uh, filmmaking, particularly, they, they don't, they wouldn't mind, uh, working, you know, different kinds of jobs on set and eventually they get to where they want to go to, which is pretty much how things work, you know, pretty much everywhere. So I, I see a question here that is, sure. can, can, can someone be trained to hear the things that they need to hear? Can I answer that? Yeah, please. please. Um, the answer is yes. You can be trained. Um, if you're if you're willing to to listen, you you can be trained. If you if you're trained, it means that you already have basically the tools. You're just you're sort of just taught how to use them. If you're if you can't if you can't hit a note, for example, you don't know what C is. If someone says, this is C, and you go, they go, ding, and you go, uh, that's a clue that you probably don't have the ear. So yes, you can be trained, but you have to bring with it the tools. Um, so if, if you're worried about it, just try it to see what it works, see if you can do it. Really? Also, in the film business, people say like, do you hear where that where that car drives around there and the, and, the, and they slam the door and they and like and somebody in the room will go no I don't hear that and everybody looks at them like we're talking about the car because they go oh yeah 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 the car you know they don't hear it you know they don't hear it it's that kind of it doesn't help you if you can't hear it even if you want to be trained if you can't hear it so biology does play a factor as well. Yeah, I think your your natural ability is that is that biology? Yes, your natural yeah. ability. Yeah, yeah, right. Really. So but uh, I know people. I know people that that you know get better. You know, yeah, they yeah. work hard and they get better, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if people tell you what to listen for, you'll eventually listen for it. It's really good. Sure, sure. And also, uh, when it comes to you know uh, uh, sound editing and sound mixing. Now, these are two different categories which have been awarded separate awards by the Academy themselves. And uh, that's kind of changing, as you told me last time. Oh, it's changed, yeah. yeah. It's changed. Yeah. Could, you, could you just uh, enlighten us a little bit about what, what sound mixing and sound is like? What's the difference between the two? And again, uh, how you broke the award? <laughs> <laughs> you have to bring up my transgressions, don't you? <laughs> The um, the traditional answer, the traditional answer, and the reason there's two, there was two awards was there's a group of people that get the original tracks from production and they clean them up. And then these same people then add sound effects and make it into a complete soundtrack. But they don't know what it sounds like altogether because there's 30 people. This is the original idea. There's 30 people. And then they never hear what they sound like together ever until they go into the big mixing room. And then the mixer then takes all these tracks from all these 30 people and they mix them together into something that's really coherent and well-balanced. And that's the first time they ever hear the mix. 
and everybody thanks the mixer for doing a great job and they go back and they, you know, their job's done. That's the traditional answer. So let's give an award for the mixer because he did a great job and let's give a reward to the guys that made all those great sounds and mm -hmm. cleaned up the dialogue and did a great job. That is yeah. two awards. Today, as I said, I have a, a computer here that, that does the, the work of I was generous, five people. I, it could be more, it could be, it could be 15 people. You know, it could be anybody, it could be everybody. You do the work for everybody. You've got the, you've got the, the technology. You will take all the different jobs that the 30 people did and now you're one person doing it. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you have to mix it yourself to understand the relationship of all these different tracks before you go to the mixing stage where they do the final mix. I've already mixed the film. So I go to the mixing stage and the mixer goes, okay, well, this sounds okay, but I can make it better. I'm a mixer. Okay, he does. He makes it better. Uh, but who's to say that your mix isn't part of the final mix? In other words, the jobs now are being blended together and uh, they, nobody really can tell who did what anymore. Uh, yeah. It's clear the mixer is mixing, but did you know that mixers can also get in and they'll look at the tracks and they'll go like, I'm gonna cut this out and move this over here. And then, oh, they're editing. They fixed something that they thought was, you know, and they, so now they, the mixer's editing. Mm -hmm. So who does what? And the, and the answer is, we don't know anymore. And when people vote, for well, this film is the best mixing and this one's the best editing. I, I ask you, how do you know? How, how do you know? Who did what? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why the old school, uh, the two the two rewards uh, awards for old school uh, job and entitlements or entitlements has changed. It's, it's changed now. It's changed because of the fewer people that work on film. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, and that's why and that's why I'm not I'm not opposed to to the the Academy uh, blending in the two awards together into one. I, it doesn't bother me. It it seems only right. I can't tell you what I like about a, a movie based on the soundtrack. I, I could I could say it really sounds great. I could tell the mixer did that, but did the mixer do that? It's a mixing thing, but did he do that? Did he did, was it did it was it brought to him? Did it did it happen in a cutting room? Yeah, you know. that's another question. So that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I've got a little studio here. I've got, I've got six speakers in my room. I can send sounds around the room. That's called mixing. I give it to the mixer. I go. I, I set them around the room, and he'll go. Okay, that's what they do. They go around the room. Um, he didn't mix it. I did. Uh, that's fine. He can say, "I'm going to cut this out and move it over there." I'm going. Okay, that's editing. It's okay. And you happen to be the final recipient of the, the Academy Award for sound. From what I can tell, yeah. From what I yeah. can tell. Um, <laughs> once they gave it to me, they went, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, is, this has got to stop. Um, I said, well, I th I'll accept it. They go like, yeah, but no more, no more. This is the last one, no more. So they, and you know. And, and I mean, you won this for basically Ford versus Ferrari. So uh, when it comes to this particular film, right, 
did you face any unique challenges in terms of sound editing compared to, you know, the movies in, in the rest of your career? Unique to Ford versus Ferrari was <laughs> the Fords and the Ferraris. Um, um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, it's a, first of all, James Mangold, my, my director is a superb director. Um, everything he does is with great care and caution and art. He, he develops a really fine soundtrack on his own. He'll just tell you what he wants to hear. And uh, he knows what he wants to hear. Well, I knew from the very beginning what I wanted to hear in this movie. And um, it's because any sound guy worth his salt wants to do a, a car movie. I mean, um, there's a bunch of categories sound guys want to do, you know, Westerns and a war movie and all these sound effect heavy type things, maybe even a science space movie, I don't know. But car movie is definitely a top 10. And I already knew what, that I had to, I had to actually have the sounds of the real cars, vintage cars to make this, you know, soundtrack work. Um, it's really hard to find um, 50-year-old cars that you can race around a track and people, you know, they don't care. It's like, hey, it's, that car cost me $4 million. Go ahead, drive it. Drive it all you want. Um, so well, the cars you see on the screen are not original race cars. They're, they're built for the, for the movie. The Ferrari and the Ford, they don't have Ferrari and Ford engines. They've got they've got hardworking modern engines, so that they can shoot film with them all day. Mm -hmm. So the challenge was to take out those bad engines and put in the good ones. And taking out the sound of the engines, you take out everything that's been recorded. If there's dialogue and the engines there then you have to take out the dialogue. And I, James Mangold and I had this discussion early on that, you know, a lot of this dialogue is, is out the window. We've got all these cars and we're gonna have to take away all these dialogues. That means we have to bring back all the actors and do the recordings all over again. And let's hope, let's hope we don't ruin everything. Well, that's kind of what he said. Let's hope we don't ruin everything. So there was it was two it was two problems it was getting the original cars, and then getting the actors back to recreate those those scenes. Luckily, um, Christian Bale and Matt Damon are probably two of the best actors I've ever worked with. I mean, they're amazing, and uh, and they're professional. They don't complain. You go, I want to record the whole movie from beginning to end, and they go, Okay, let's go. Um, uh, but we didn't say that. We didn't say the whole movie. But we did say we, we want to do a lot of things. And, and they were all great. They were great. And then I had an associate at, at uh, 20th Century Fox when it was around called Matthew Wells. Matthew found the cars that we used to record. Um, we found this man in, in Ohio who had a, a, a GT40. This was an originally, he built the GT40 out of original Ford parts. It was actually a, an assembly line GT40, if you can imagine that. And um, 
he was open to having us record it. So we solved that problem. Then he had a friend who had a Ferrari. He was okay with us recording it. Um, now all we had to do was cut it into the movie and, um, you know, make it as exciting as we wanted it to be. But th those were the challenges. In that was a long answer, but those were the challenges. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good answer. And uh, you mentioned before that, you know, you had a chat with James Mangold about pretty much like uh, how this should be shot as well. So how, how early on in production do you normally join a movie? Well, I work with enlightened people who are very, very hip to sound. They know, they know that sound is a, a big player and, and, um, James Mangold wants, wants to hear all of his uh, scenes with sound, with, with sound treatment. For example, he may, he may be shooting a movie uh, on location, but the, but the dailies, the rushes, come back to the editors and they, they start assembling it while he's shooting it. And they can call him up and they go like, you've missed, you missed something here. We don't, have, we don't have anything from when he walks outside to when he goes inside and uh, you know like, okay we'll, we'll get that tomorrow mm -hmm. but then he'll come back and he'll say i want to see your first version of the scene and that's when i am i'm called up to sort of help i put in all the sound effects and 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 the, the necessary sounds just to introduce the scenes to him so that he gets a, a sort of a cinematic uh feel for the scene and then he can judge it as if he were a moviegoer and um at the same time he gives me notes he goes like well that's not what i want to hear in the end i don't i i know it's just for today but let's make it better like this or let's take that over there and so it's a really great method so i have to come on in the very beginning of the, of the production so that when he's ready to see a scene now um i've got something to show him so that's why i call them enlightened they know They know the importance of sound, and and uh, Jim loves sound so much that when I get a hold of it, um, he's ready to give me his impression, and um, it, it really helps the process. So you work with uh, James Mangold on Ford vs Ferrari, and also uh, the Wolverine and uh, Logan as well. But and yeah. these are three different—I mean, uh, basically two different genres. How does sound editing like change with genre? Does it change at all? And if so, how? The work itself doesn't change. Um, we still have the same goals. Uh, the goals are how does sound help tell the story? Well, it helps to know what the story is, but that doesn't, besides that, it doesn't really change. I mean, um, You know, um, I would rank sound as the number one sound in film is dialogue. You don't know what people are saying. Um, a lot of people are disappointed. Uh, the number two thing I think is music. A lot of directors who are, for lack of a better term, they rely on music to help them tell the emotion of the scene. Maybe they can do it without music, but a lot of them rely on it. So number two is music. Somewhere else, three is 
sound effects or I don't know, you know, it's down there. And that's not to say though, it doesn't really have a, uh, an important role. It's really got to tell the story. I mean, when, when, when Wolverine, when Logan uses his claws and he stabs somebody, uh, you know what you want to hear. We all know what you want to hear. And uh, if you don't hear it, then it's terrible. It's like you've been robbed. But at the same time, you also don't want the sounds of him stabbing people to get in the way of what's what the big scene is. And then maybe the big scene is that the is that the Wolverine is fighting somebody who looks just like him, which is what happens in, in Logan. Yeah. And he's fighting his his clone, and and so that's the point. It's not necessarily you know who has the better stabs, uh, although at one point we do compare the stabs. But it's 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 basically um, you gotta you, you gotta approach every movie with the story in mind, and um, if you if you don't if you don't tell the story, you let's hope you haven't like ruined the story. Oh, here goes my dog. Okay. Gotcha. Hey, Sonny. Hey, puppy. Hey. <laughs> he should probably pitch in as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and that's the million dollar question right there. And what? Please, please see you, Oscar. <laughs> I've got it somewhere. You've got it somewhere, people. They changed. It looks a lot like a cough. Wait a minute. That's not it. <laughs> there we go. Voila. Well, you can see my fan in the reflection. It's very, it's very shiny. Um, and it does have, it does have my name on it. So, and it also has a, what's interesting is it has a number. It's registered. Uh, mine is number 4266. And I don't own this. They 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 lend it to me. I can keep it. Okay. But but I don't own it. Um, they will ask for it back if I if I do anything. If I if I become unworthy, for example, if I if if I commit maybe a crime or something. I don't know. If I try, I can't sell this. Um, <laughs> Why it doesn't work. <laughs> Well, let's say that uh, you know my evil brother-in-law comes in and and steals it, and he runs down somewhere to sell it, and they go, they go "This is a real Oscar, you know. I need I need a hundred dollars." Um, you can't do that. They'll take it back. So, so much I'm a custodian. Home. I'm a custodian for the for the Oscar. Brilliant, brilliant. Wow! So uh, there you go, people. It's, it's really heavy. I mean, it's it feels like it's three pounds. Wow! Wow! <laughs> it does look heavy, and it's beautiful. So there you go, people. That's okay. Okay, more than a hundred dollars. Okay, a hundred dollars was an idea. <laughs> but I don't have an evil brother-in-law either. So that's the whole thing's a story that I made up. That, that is good to hear. That is good to hear because uh, next time I'm in LA, I, I hope I run into you and not him. Me too. <laughs> cool. So back to uh, topic. Uh, when it comes to, you know, 
sound editing. Uh, like you said, dialogue is the number one problem that most filmmakers have, and indie filmmakers more than most. Do you have any pro tips when it comes to independent filmmakers? How can they get clean dialogue? Or I mean, because uh, I think Isotope is quite a big investment that it's costly. So what can independent filmmakers do to make their films sound better? Well, you know, there's been dialogue long before this Isotope. Um, and um, the tools that uh, a lot of people use as strictly an editorial solution is you cut out the bad sounds between the words. Um, and that, you know, that has limited effects on it. I mean, you could, you know, if it's in a, if you're in a noisy location and you cut out all the noise in between the words, the dialogue goes, woof, woof, woof. Um, and then you have to replace what you cut out with agreeable noise, something that's not so uh, bad sounding. The other thing to do, I mean, what you, what you can disguise, you can also disguise dialogue with music and, uh, and uh, atmospheres um, and other, other soundscapes that people expect to hear. Um, I mean, sometimes we, we have a car go by when somebody says something that sounds really bad and people are distracted slightly and they don't think about it. Uh, you know, it's a trick. <clears throat> Otherwise, you know, in the, in the, in the early days, you know, EQing the sound, taking out notches of bad sound um, work. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to think in terms of, of, of analog and I'm lucky that I worked in analog for a long time that I, I didn't have these tools. But all you can do is basically equalize, equalize the sound or take it out. Um, there may be other tricks I don't know about. Please send me your postcards. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but everybody now, we're living in the isotope world today where, where people actually can paint out sounds and they spend a lot of their time um, crushing it and ripping it apart and putting it back. And um, a lot of times the solutions are, are stronger than the problem and you don't need it. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and people will accept a certain amount of sound. I think if you go back and you look at some really great movies that aren't, aren't too old, not too long ago, um, they didn't have the tools and nobody complained about it. I mean, you listen to some of these movies back in the old days and, and they don't sound great. But people yeah. didn't didn't care because once if you if people are involved in your movie you know sound be damned i mean that's what producers tell me all the time if people care about your movie you don't need to work weeks on this thing you, people don't care and to a degree that it's true people can be involved people can overlook bad sound but it's a high price to pay you got to be willing to really deliver a really good film for people to do that in my opinion yeah sure so uh, we have a question here which uh, you know, it's about sound effects and fight scene i'm gonna reframe this in a in a way because of uh, uh the the fight sounds that you see like oh you hear in uh, in fight sequences aren't necessarily you know the sounds that you would hear for real and it's the same in most instances as well so how how do you how do you decide on how to exaggerate like which sounds to exaggerate? How do you go about that process? Right. The, the problem with 
fight scenes and action movies is that people have a level of expectation now because they don't want it to sound real. They, they want to be entertained. Um, they, they want something that's exciting and they, they feel is worth, worth their money. Um, so if you were to actually just record a real fight, um, it would sound, it would sound ridiculous. It would sound like children, you know, and, um, and maybe it is children and maybe super children, who knows, but so you have to take everything up a little bit and there's a lot of elements within the fight and it's, it's a matter of taste, of course, but there's a lot of elements within fights. Um, and a lot of them, if I, if I told you what they were, you'd go like, well, I don't hear that. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to, you know, but it is, it's true. It's a, it's a palette. It's a blending of a whole lot of sounds. And you won't notice them if they're done well, because it's kind of what you expect. Um, so there's a lot of low end adding of sort of thumpy, low end things. If you hit somebody in the chest, you want to hear a low end thing. If you hit somebody in the face, you want to hear a slappy thing. You know, there's, there's also a lot of times just bone breaking. There's a lot, there's a more like clothy impact too, depending on where you're hitting. Um, yeah. The sounds of the, of the fist moving through the air, something that we always hear, right? Whenever we do that, we hear a whoosh. We add that. Uh, and then various degrees of all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, the, the best thing about a fight is the vocals, if you ask me. Um, I like the idea of people fighting, and then, you know, if you hit somebody, he goes, boom, like that. Um, thank you, scene. Um, <laughs> the vocals really, again, go back to dialogue. The fight dialogue is really important because it, it gives you an emotional uh, hook to hang your emotion on. It, it's, you want to hear people with with passion you know fighting and i think that and then that then he had the sound effects and, and you, you know you may have a uh a director or someone that says like that sounds ridiculous and make it bigger make the whole world crash around and you go okay you can do it but there's some there's some degree of taste that you can uh, employ and still have a good fight sound gotcha. that, that's interesting because uh having seen the night out, it's something that you told me as well, uh, that the, the fight vocals could be leveled up. And I'm actually considering a different mix. And sometimes, uh, you know, rather than letting the music drive the story, it's always kind of good to mix it all up in between. But I learned that from you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> well, the music, the music is really good at telling the tale, the emotional, but it doesn't, it doesn't always tell the story. And when the music tries to be a like, a lot of a lot of composers think the music is is both the dialogue and the sound effects all together. It is just one element. It's just an element. If it's not doing anything at the moment, uh, it could stand back and let other elements take over and still be heard. People still hear the music. Yeah, people hear music at all. It can be the very very low, and they still hear it, or it could be very very loud. This just depends on how you want the other sounds to interact with it. I saw a good question about ADR. ADR, yes. So uh, Raji was asking as about, uh, so he knows filmmakers who always ADR their entire films. So is that a good or a bad approach? 
Well, um, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. If you go up to a director and you say, Gee, yeah, you know, this is a really great scene that you, you shot here, but it sounds like crap. So I want to bring all the actors back and re-record them. I think you get fired because um, you're basically saying that the direct that that for whatever reason you can do better than the director or the or the or the actors or you're going in there and you're and you're messing with what they did. Now it may be true, may sound bad, it, it, but the solution is never to first say we're going to take it out and re-record it. The solution is to well, let's see if we can clean it up because we know this is a valuable performance and the direction is top notch and we want to preserve it. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to go in there and start cleaning house um, unless you are a, um, a glutton for punishment. The, the next step is you do your best to clean up the sound and then you fail. And then you say, we failed. I'm not afraid to tell you we failed. And now I need a drastic step of re-recording it. And only then um, do you really have a chance of, of winning over the director because you don't, you, don't have, you don't have an excuse if you, can't, if you can't clean it up. If you haven't tried to clean it up, then Going to ADR is just, it's just lazy. Uh, it's just lazy. And so we always avoid ADR. We always say it's, it's, a, it's the, um, it's the, it's the uh, solution of last resort. Unless the director comes to you and goes, you know, when he said this, I didn't like the way he said it. I want him to say it this way now. Well, that's a different story altogether. Then you're changing what it is. And then you're changing it based on the story yeah. And that's that's very valuable, uh, and it's a very valuable tool. But not just because the sound guy says it sucks. I mean, that's 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 a big mistake. That's a very much so. Yeah. So we we are in the the last quarter of the session, and you can you know ask any question, well, sound editing or sound related from uh, Don. So I'll tell you guys type up. I have a few questions from Facebook from people who aren't able to join us today. And one question is, uh, so when it comes to different types of mixes such as 5.1, Dolby Atmos, how do you go about the sound editing process? How do I go about what? How do you go about the sound editing process when it comes to different types of mixes such as 5.1, Dolby Atmos, etc.? No, it doesn't really have anything to do with editing. Um, you know, these formats are marketing. Um, and uh, the reason that Atmos was invented was to preserve the theater going experience and then make, make it something that you couldn't recreate at home. But now you can buy Atmos machines at home. Um, at 5.1 and 7.1, you know, are just, just versions of the same thing. Um, there's 9.1. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's, um, IMAX, um, there's all these different formats that doesn't affect, you can't, no, it doesn't affect the way you make sounds or cut things. You could say 
that having the idea in your head that there's going to be an Atmos scene, an Atmos film, that, okay, well, maybe the rain will come in over your head in Atmos. And that's great, but you're still, you're still, it doesn't really affect, if you don't have the right rain, Atmos is not going to make your rain sound good. You know, you have to have the right sounding rain. So, um, you know, this is, a, this is an instance where the, the mixer is, is really important because the mixer will tell you what works and what doesn't work in the, in the, in the format you're working in. There's no difference between 5171, you know. Um, there is a difference between stereo and 5-1. But that's not something that you should be concerned about when you're making the sounds. You make the sounds, you, you just make the sounds based on, on the story and, and, the, and the goals that you want to achieve. And the mixer will then put it in the room. I, we've got some sounds in Ford versus Ferrari that you would never believe um, I mean, I didn't cut them this way, but you know, the, we have a scene where the, the Ferrari goes all the way around the theater. And if you're paying attention, you can actually follow its journey. It takes about 25 seconds for it to go all the way around. Wow. And then eventually it comes back. And uh, that has to be done in, in, in a, you know, a 7-1 or Atmos atmosphere. Um, but it's not the story. It's it's just it's just sound. It's it, you know, the, the story would be fine if you just heard it go around a little bit. We just have this technology that we utilize, and it's fun, and it's 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 good. But we don't we don't really we don't really uh, cut for it per se. Yeah. yeah. So Rajiv's got another question regarding sound mixing. He he wants to know how does sound mixing come into play when it comes to score, uh, volume, and blend. Who controls what in the end? The score. Yeah. There's always been a a, a a competition between the score and the sound effects in 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 my world. Maybe not with the composers, um, but um, usually there's a there's one man the the. The, the mixer, there's, a mi there's one mixer that does effects, sound effects, normally. One mixer that does dialogue and music. That's mm -hmm. what it's boiled down to now. We used to have more mixers. Sometimes there's only one mixer that does it all. But the mixer will then balance everything against the music. Um, if we have a, a complete soundtrack of sound effects and, and dialogue, we don't have any music. Uh, that's fine. We can do it all our own. But when the music comes in, it's a completely different mix because now you're playing uh, with something that will, remember it's number two on the list. There's number one is dialogue, number two is music. You know, what happens to the other elements? They all have to live in the same spectrum in your head. So the mixer will then decide at what point does the music give way to the effects and vice versa. And and a lot of times, the uh, the music should play more in many scenes than the uh, than, than the sound effects because the music is an emotional, you know, it's it's an emotional feeling. It, you want you want that in your film. So, um, yeah, the mixer will be the the king. 
And then, of course, the director always wants to come in and go, here's where we want the music to come in and raise and lower and all that kind of stuff. And then we all go, well, let's get the sound effects out of the way because now we know what the director wants. And, and we're okay with that. It be fine. The reason I was saying competition is it used to be that some composers would, would score the movie as if it were sound effects. Like they do a big downbeat on an explosion. You bum, 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 and the music goes, bam. And then you go, well, who wins this battle? Are we gonna hear the explosion or we're we gonna hear the big musical downbeat? And smart composers these days, in my opinion, have given up that battle. You don't have to have, you don't have to score sound effects. You don't have to have that. Um, they just step away and let the explosion happen and everybody's happy. And it, it makes sense because, you know, yeah. music can't do everything. True. And since you mentioned uh, stereo versus mono, when it comes to sound effects and basic sound editing, what do you play around in? Is it mono or stereo or other instances where you oscillate between the two? We never use stereo. Um, no, stereo is is stereo is um, yeah. It just doesn't. We need to isolate the dialogue again. The dialogue is number one. We need to isolate the dialogue in that center channel. The center channel is reserved for dialogue and whatever happens. Foley sometimes, you know, and things happening in front of you. It's like. Sound effects can go over here, here, left and right. Um, so from what I know, everybody cuts in 5-1, uh, 7-1. Some people cut in Atmos. Di dialogue editors, if they're smart, and, they, and most of them are pretty savvy because they know how important the job is, they'll cut with an LCR, uh, left, center, right. That way they can take the music off the center and the dialogue goes in the center. That also means that if they, stereo is terrible because you take the dialogue, there's, there's no center channel, so the dialogue goes left and right. So there's never anything on the screen. It's always left and right. And that's where the music lives. So you raise the dialogue to get over the music uh, and it's, it's too loud in the final mix because it's now got its own channel in the middle and now it's really hot. Um, the moment you move it off the center, um, and you split it into left and right, it has a different sonic approach to the audience than it does in the center. So um, everybody I know cuts in 5.1 or LCR. At so does that good say uh, that you don't pan voices around? No. Or, okay. No, you don't pan voices around. That's interesting. So it's basically uh, there, uh, there's exceptions to every rule. There's exceptions to every rule. Don't get me wrong. You, if, there's a, if a guy's off camera, he's down the alley and he's over there, <clears throat> yeah, sure. But if, if somebody's in the same room with you and he's not on the camera, somebody else is on camera, he's off screen, he's still in the center of the screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he's not in the theater somewhere. He hasn't left, got up, walked to the end of the theater. He's, mm -hmm. he's still in the room there. So you don't pan dialogue. Interesting. That's 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 something new. <laughs> well, I hope not. Well, I always thought that they panned everything, so <clears throat> goes to show how much. Well, <laughs> if you've got the real estate, no, if you've got the real estate of the LCR, for example, or the mm. five one, you don't need to pan it. You don't need to pan it, even though you can, because mm. everything else can be 
manipulated around there. The dialogue is the focus, remember. You're trying to follow these people, but you don't know if somebody sitting on the right side of the theater can hear what's on the left side of the theater as well. So um, it's, if it's important dialogue and somebody walks off screen and they're over there on the left side of the theater, that's half the audience is going to get it. And the other half is going to say, what did he say? You know, um, you don't. So why do that? Why go through that? You know, just because you can? No, it's really not. It's not helping your goal of telling the story. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Brilliant. And guys, we are coming towards the end of the session. So uh, we got two minutes on the clock. Anyone got, got any questions, please drop them in the comment section below. And uh, Don will try to answer it, definitely. Uh, so I got one more uh, question. Do you ever see a movie and you go like, you could, have done, could you have done things differently? <laughs> <laughs> Never. No, of course, of course. <laughs> my 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 problem is when um i hear when people break break my golden rule um my problem is when people break the rule and they and they and they somehow forget that dialogue is is important and um it's not it's not audible um and so uh the other thing i think i notice is the technical aspect of of a of a mix or something um you know if 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 i if i i can hear a loop a mile away if somebody's done an adr line and it doesn't blend into the soundtrack it just mm -hmm. takes me out of the film right there i could be watching it and going like yeah what's going to happen next then the guy goes but i really want to take a film and he goes jeez you just ruined it for me but i look at my wife and she goes what and I go, okay, I know, you don't hear it, but I heard it. It's just that I'm so used to, you know, fixing problems that when I hear a when I when I hear a problem that's not been resolved and I then I it, it, alarm bells go off in my head and I can't, you know, I can't get out of it. I take my job with me wherever I go. Sorry to interject, but thirty uh, actually twenty five seconds on the clock. This has been an amazing session. Instagram has this one hour cap off limit, so we got to abide by that. But Don, thank you so much for- My pleasure. We might have to do another one. And everyone who joined, thank you guys so, so, so much. We learned a lot. Thank you so much again, Don. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Awesome. See you again. <laughs>